0: But this morning, if you remember, we had a little break last week from the kind of Christmas narrative because uh, Jeremy was here praying in John and Kathy. Um, um, But the week before that, I spoke on Joseph and Mary and we're back into the story this morning. Um, And so we're going to go with another section that you all know very, very well around the uh, wise men. So let's just pray real quick. And we're going to be reading from Matthew 2. Matthew chapter 2, 1 to 12. So Father, just thank you for this morning. I thank you, Lord, uh, for our time in worship. How blessed we are, Lord, to be able to worship and sing your name uh, in just in that freedom, just to come and worship you, Lord. I thank you for uh, those who were able to make it this morning. Um, And Lord, we just pray that, Lord, it's meaningful. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would come and just speak to us, come and work through us, come and Teach us, Lord, come and reveal things to us that perhaps we haven't seen in the past. And Lord, may we be changed as we, before we go into communion, before we take the bread and the wine, Lord, this morning, would we be serious about you, about approaching you and about you approaching us? In Jesus' name, everybody said? Okay, uh, Matthew 2, 1 to 12. So it says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary and bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened the treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Okay, so uh, this is a story that has been told for thousands of years now. And uh, unfortunately, it's one of those stories that... um, that we have paid more attention to what the Hollywood movies or the Christmas cards or children's nativities tell us about this story than actually what the text says. What, what, what does the Bible actually tell us about this, this moment? Uh, some years ago, uh, Jenny, Jenny and I, we, t- we took her engagement ring. We've been married 15 years this coming year. And we took her engagement ring to... A jeweler and he was like this master craftsman and we took it because her engagement ring uh, was a little worn and uh, it it was just uh, you know when you wear something day after day it becomes a bit dull um, and loses its shine and we gave it to this expert really uh, and to, to fix and what he gave us back was this beautifully polished Ring with a beautifully polished diamond, and it was like, wow! I I didn't even realize there was a diamond in that ring. It's it's it looks it looks lovely. Um, I can't believe it used to look like that. And unfortunately, the same can be true with many of the the accounts that we read in the Bible. Uh, we can read them and interpret them in certain ways. That actually, what happens is that they over time they lose that initial awe and wonder that they came with. And as soon as we think of the wise men in the Bible and think of this moment, and, and it's the, the reality is with all the, the nativity plays and all of the Christmas cards and all of the Hollywood movies or whatever they are, that actually over time, they this, this story has lost its shine. And what we think of when we think of this moment is we think of three guys in a, in a nativity set. I always think of the Mr. Bean scene. Um, three guys in the Mr. Bean set with an angel on fishing wire above them and a cow in the background. We think of that, don't we? Uh, but what we want to do this morning as we read through Matthew's gospel is actually we, what we want to do is we want to say, Holy Spirit, would you be the master restorer? Would you come and bring the shine back to this? Would you come and bring that sense of awe and wonder to this story? Uh, so let's break it down a little bit, and and let's hope that that's actually what happens this morning. And Matthew is telling us, uh, Matthew is telling us uh, that Jesus has been born. He starts by telling us that Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea. If you remember last time, we left it that. Um, uh, Joseph was told in a dream by an angel, a messenger of God, to take Mary as his wife. Don't be afraid. Take her as your wife. And that's what he does. And then we pick up, and what happens is, is that Jesus has actually been born in Bethlehem. Now, on a map, Bethlehem isn't necessarily a significant place that you would pick out, but in the Bible, it is a significant place. It is the place where Jacob buries his wife, Rachel in Genesis 35 it's where Ruth uh, met Boaz in in Ruth uh, chapter 1 it's also the main town in which David King David the famous king in which the, la- the line of which Jesus would be born David spent much of his life and his upbringing in Bethlehem and we're told that the Magi, they, they come, so, so Jesus has been born, but the Magi, they come to King Herod. And they, they come to King Herod, and who are these men? <laughs> What's going on? And what was, when was the last time he used Magi in a conversation? Or even talked about Magi outside of a biblical context? It's not a word we use. It's not a word half of us even know how to pronounce, including me. And, um, and I don't remember the last time I, let, I met a Magi. I don't think that's ever happened. So, um, but the truth is that what we know about these men is limited. What we know about them is limited. We can't get around that and make things up. Although uh, we can piece together some things from what we do understand. We don't know the name. Uh, that was like a whole 6th century thing. Uh, wh- what were the names? Anybody remember Balth- Balthazar or something? I just remember it from Christ- Christmas nativity songs. Um, but we don't know. Uh, but we all know the song, don't we? We three kings from Orient Oh, I'm well, not talking to you. Stop, stop, stop. But we all know, right? Travis so far. Matthew doesn't tell us how many actually came. If you read your Bible... How many men were they? Well, we, we sing, don't we? We, three kings. But how many is there in the Bible? He doesn't tell us. He does use the word to describe them as plural, so we know that there are at least two. Um, but over the years and the stories and the novels that have been written, um, instead of what the Bible states, what we've accepted is what we've been told from elsewhere. And things that aren't the facts have become the facts. (laughs) Um, There may have been two. There may have been a hundred. What we know is that there were more than one. Uh, And the belief that there were three probably is centred around the fact that there are three gifts. So there must have been three, surely. Everybody brings something, right? Like, so there must have been three. There may have been three, but there may have been 20. There may have been two. I know it hurts my brain too. Uh, And we're seeing there were three kings. So one of Magi, are they kings? No, they're not. They're not kings. Um, The word Magi is used uh, for priests um, in the Babylonian empire. We have lots of examples of the word in the Hebrew being used uh, in the book of Daniel, for example. There are several occasions. One of them is Daniel 2 too. So the king summoned the magicians, the enchanters, sorcerers, astrologers, to tell him what he had dreamed. These are these are magi. These are the people from the Babylonian Empire. And they had come because of a star. They are astrologers. They are watching the stars for signs. And they have come to King Herod because there is a star. In the New Testament times, so following on from this, the same word would be used in the Greek to cover a wide variety of men who were interested in dreams and astrology. Um, so Matthew never says that they're kings. Uh, he tells us that they are magi and the Greek word uh, magos, which means wise man or priest. We call them wise men, don't we? Three wise men. Wise men or priests. Experts in astrology or in the interpretation of dreams. So lots of occult activities, they do them all. And it's possible that they'd become familiar. How did they know? Like, how did they know about this promised king? Well, it's, it, it's very possible and likely that they would have been, been familiar with the Old Testament messianic prophecies. So these promises of the Messiah that was going to come, it's possible that they would have been very familiar with them uh, through the books like Isaiah or Daniel, um, because we know that spread throughout these countries where we think these men likely came from, spread throughout these countries, are are hotspots of Jewish community that had managed to continue um, being faithful to the God of Israel. And so they were spread all over. If you you read through the Old Testament, you read about the the two big exiles that happen in Jewish communities. And we see all the way to Arabia, Persia, Babylon, all throughout the East... Um, that there are these Jewish hotspots. When we get to the book of Acts, and we read about the Pentecost, where the disciples have re- received the power of the Holy Spirit, and they break out of the upper room, filled with the Holy Spirit, they start speaking in tongues and languages. And we see listed um, in Acts chapter 2, them saying, "How how is it that they're speaking languages that we understand? And Luke, fortunately, in the book of Acts, lists all of the different languages that have been spoken and all the different people groups that are represented and they're there for the Passover festival. How can they speak our languages? So we know that there are Jews in these countries and we know that they would have been reading the texts. So the the Magi, they weren't kings, uh, but they were likely rich. Um, and they probably belonged to the upper class of society. They probably looked the bee's knees, um, wearing the, you know, the Dolce & Gabbana of the day, that was them. They were able to take years out of work, no problem. They were able to travel long distances and probably had an entourage with them to help them get to where they needed to be. Uh, they, they were able to bring gifts that were of significant value and to bring them uh, to take time out to come and do this Uh, so they were likely rich likely the upper class Uh, but as soon as they get to jerusalem where do they go they go to the home of king herod they go to to see king herod and why would they do that well because the messiah had been born the king of the jews had been born so where where would you go you'd go to the royal household wouldn't you You'd go to see the king. Hey, you must have a a kid (laughs) knocking around here. Um, And we read (coughs) that he's not there. Uh, They have to ask him, where is the Messiah to be born? And we read that, uh, that King Herod is worried because there is a threat to his power. And you can be forgiven the first time you read this. Every time I read like King Herod, I want to do like an evil laugh. Do you know, like a, tell me where the king is so I can worship him. You know, like, you know, you want to, everybody wants to do that, right? Like everybody imagines King Herod like that. But actually when you first read it, you think, oh, this guy's pretty helpful. What a nice guy. Like what a lovely guy this is. Um, He organizes the chief priests of the people and and the scribes the teachers of the law he organizes them and says hey uh these guys are asking where the messiah is going to be born like where, where is that right where is that and and they come back and they say hey the prophets say that he's going to be born in bethlehem so it gives the answer now just imagine this group of people the chief priests the teachers of the of the law they've been they've been gathered because hey We need to know where this Messiah is going to be born. Where is this king going to be born? And he approaches these men who have spent their lives examining and teaching and reading the Scriptures, meditating on it day and night, understanding it. They've dedicated themselves to it. And when Herod asks them for a question, they give the answer. But here's the question. Do we read that these chief priests, these teachers of the law, that they act on what they're hearing? No, they give their answer, and that's it. That's it. They give their answer. They have the information, and they've given it. That's it. I don't know if you're like me. Uh, one of my biggest bugbears in today's world <laughs> is the Google conversation killer. Anybody experience this? So do you remember like 15 years ago when you'd have a conversation, and you'd say like, um, how, how old do you think um, Dame Judy Dench is? And you say, oh, I don't know, um, it got to be like late 70s, hasn't she? Oh, I don't know, I was thinking more like 80s. Oh, really? Do you remember conversations like this? Anybody remember conversations like this? And you can spend like 10 minutes trying to figure it out. What's, do you remember she was in this thing? I think she was about 60 then, you know. Do you remember when we used to do this? She was in James Bond, wasn't she? Right? Now, this is how the conversation goes. Are you ready? How old do you think Dame Jude is? I don't know, hold on a minute. Hey, Siri, how old is Dame Judy dead? That literally, oh, she's 88. Oh, okay. I didn't know she was that old. Oh, a conversation over, right? Sorry. Okay. Sorry. I shouldn't have said those words. My iPad's trying to call somebody. Um, but that is literally how the conversation goes now, isn't it? You know who you are, those people just pointing. You know who you are. You can't have conversations anymore. We live in a world now where information is at our fingertips. Multiple, multiple dis- devices, multiple sources. You want to know anything, f- you can find it out. You don't even need to talk to a person anymore. When my sister moved into her own house, she didn't know how to use a washing machine. She didn't even know where to put the clothes. She Googled it. She watched a video on YouTube and that's how she learned. We live in a world now where information is rife. We just have it. Anything you want to know about, you want to learn how to knit later this afternoon, go on, go and find it out. You want to learn how to crochet. I don't know why I'm doing so many crafty things. Um, But anything you want to know, you can go and find it out. You want to understand the Bible on a deeper, more intimate level, you can go and do that. You don't even need to come to church anymore. It's all there, all for you. We live in a world where information is abundant. You see, these chief priests and these scribes, at the time, that, that they could find the answer that, for, the, for the question that they were being asked. And, but, but what did they do on the back of that information? What did they do? Well, they gave the answer, and then they went about their lives. The, the, you don't see the chief priests and the, the scribes, whoa, why are we being asked about the Messiah? Is he here? Has he been born? We must go to Bethlehem. We must, we must act. No, they were just indifferent. Yeah. They did what was required of them. They won the first place in the Bible quiz. Congratulations. They got the right answer. Maybe they felt chuffed for themselves and give themselves a pat on the back. They had the book of knowledge. They had the knowledge that was given to them. All the information they needed and yet no passion. Nothing. Indifference. Maybe some of us, brothers and sisters in the room, have just slipped into a bit of indifference when it comes to Jesus. Maybe we've just slipped into a sense of, eh. yeah, I'll go to church, oh, I'll give it a miss next week. Maybe we've just lost a bit of our zeal, our passion. The Magi, they go a different way. So Herod, he gathers them together. It says secretly, and I think it's a bit weird, because everybody already knows, but then secretly he gathers them together. Why is that? Well, because he's got a plan, an evil plan. Now, um, I'm not going to go into Herod too much today because John next week is going to be speaking on the slaughter of the innocents. He's very excited. Um, and uh, he's going to be talking a lot about Herod and the wonderful person that he was. And uh, But he meets with the Magi in secret. Uh, and if there's whispers about this Messiah being born, let's keep it to us. The details I need to know, but just tell me. And he meets them in secret and in fact, he sends them out on this mission. They quote Micah uh, 5. He says, but, but you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, but and no means the least, out of you is going to come the shepherd of Israel. So he tells them, hey, Bethlehem's where you're going to find him. You go, find out. And when you find out, come and let me know what's happening. All right? Come and report to me. And uh, they, they, they set off and... Um, and and they they follow this star and w- what we know is is that this star stops over the building and they're praising you know they're, they're in a place of praise that this star has stopped over the building where they're going to meet this new king this newborn king the long awaited king now the that remember their secret meeting with herod well, what does Herod learn from that meeting? He asks them, when does this star appear? Why is that important? Well, because it tells him how long this star's been here, which means they know about how old this new king is. So next week, when Herod sends everybody off to kill all the boys in Bethlehem under two, well, it's because he's kind of figured out this king can be no older than two years old. So, The Magi, they come into a little basket with Jesus in it and cows and sheep and an angel on fishing wire. No, they come in to see a child, a toddler. They they arrive there and Jesus is no older than two. We can be sure of that. He probably put a bit of an insurance policy in there. So maybe 18 months. Um, But they arrive and you can imagine, Joseph and Mary are a little bit more established in Bethlehem now that they are set up and living and, and then they get this unexpected knock on the door. And can you imagine opening the door or even seeing people coming around the corner with their entourage and their fine clothing and their, you know, you know coming these travellers, these distant travellers. Maybe they looked a bit different from the Israelites or maybe, you know, wow, look at these, look at these people coming. What, what do they want? And these rich Magi and they and they hand over these incredible gifts. Can you just imagine Mary and Joseph and just taken aback a a little bit? But then something even more incredible happens in this moment. They fall to the ground and they begin to worship their child. To worship Jesus. And their gifts and uh, that they bring, they are fit and worthy of a king first they bring gold gold is the standard gift to honor a king it was the most precious metal at the time and it was given to this new king that's what they brought the gold for and beyond that they brought these eastern spices of frankincense and myrrh dr uh, uh, peter lang he's a scholar he says frankincense is a resin of bitter taste don't eat it it's rank but a fragrant odor Smells lovely. It was used mainly in, in sacrifices and services at the temple. That's what it was used for at the temple. Myrrh was an aromatic of a similar kind. It was used for fumigation and improving the taste of wine, but it was especially used as an ingredient of a special ointment used at death. You see, the gold, it pointed towards Jesus's kingship. It pointed towards Jesus being the king above all kings, the long-awaited Messiah, the fulfillment of the prophecies that they'd managed to read about. Uh, 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 And he would be born in Bethlehem, and here he was, and we worship him as king, these distant travelers. The frankincense, it pointed towards him as the high priest, the mediator between God and man, the one bringing in a new relationship, interceding on our behalf and uh, to, to God, and the myrrh it spoke of this king's death. It spoke of a king who would come in order to die for his people, to break the divide between God and man. He would be the Lamb of God, pouring out his blood as the sacrifice. He was a king who would die. King Herod the one who should have rejoiced at hearing about this Messiah, should have dropped everything and run to Bethlehem. He had all of the availability to know what was happening and where it was happening. And yet he does nothing. Instead, he wants to kill him. He wants to preserve what he's built for himself. But the the, the Magi, they respond in worship. And God warns them, doesn't he, before they head back, hey, in a dream, he, he speaks to them and they make a sharp exit from the story. But we've been told time and time again, haven't we, that there are three kings in this story. But the reality is, when we read the text, there are two. There is King Herod, a wicked man, a wannabe king, who has zero legitimacy to the throne in Israel. The other king, though, is the true king, the Messiah, the Messiah. From the line of David, God's only son. And you t- know today, we, we as people react much like the people in this story. The first reaction is maybe some people in the room today are just indifferent. Indifferent. Maybe you know everything you need to know about church, but you, you just feel indifferent towards Jesus. The priests and the scholars in the story, they're just indifferent. Assuming that they found out the reason that Herod asked where the Messiah was going to be born, these religious leaders, they didn't seem interested in seeking out this newborn king. All the knowledge and yet no passion. Nothing. They knew all of the answers, but they were unwilling to allow that to drop from their head to their heart. Maybe today... It's just a, just a time for you to just hit the reset button. Just to say, actually, God, you know, I, I feel I've been slipping away from you. I feel I've been becoming indifferent towards you, Jesus. I feel like the shine's gone off the diamond that I first discovered. And Holy Spirit, would you come and would you restore for me the awe and wonder of you, Jesus. Would you help me not to be indifferent towards the revelation of God that's found in Jesus Christ? And instead, would you bring back that shine? Would you be that master restorer? And Jesus I, I just want to say I'm willing. Maybe that's you today. Today you can come and ask God, to re- ask God to come and remind you of His love for you. To fan into flame. To set a fire in you. You know, at home, we have a boiler to working overtime at the moment. And in the boiler, there's this little you know, pilot light. It's that little pilot light. And actually, it's just, just always on, always on. And once we touch the thermostat and turn the heating on, the pilot light, it goes, whoosh, and just ignites. And you know, the same is true when we allow the Holy Spirit just to come into our lives. The same is true when we say, Holy Spirit, just come and fill me. And maybe you've just never been filled with the Holy Spirit. Maybe, maybe today is the day you say, Jesus, I want to be filled with your Holy Spirit. I want that pilot light to go from a little tiny flame to woof. That's what I want. So come and fill me afresh with the Holy Spirit. For some of you, maybe you've just become a bit dry. Maybe you've just become a bit indifferent. Maybe you've just fallen into the same old routine, same old things not really reading my Bible, not really spending time praying with you, God, I'd rather just, you know, watch what's on BBC iPlayer today than actually put aside time for you. Let me just say, please don't be indifferent. Today, just say, God, I, I surrender to you. I surrender to you. I don't want to be indifferent. The second response that we see is the hostility shown by Herod towards Jesus, this newborn king. And today, people can still be the same. They can often have a strong reaction uh, to hearing about Jesus and his authority over our lives. They can still be threatened by the truth like Herod was on that day. And maybe maybe in the past your reaction to Herod or maybe a co-worker. You know you, you just try and talk to them about Jesus and they're aggressively over the top about Jesus and about who he is. Maybe about, you know, you've got a child at home you've just tried talking to them about Jesus and they're just, you know, just so aggressive about it. They overreact. They feel really defensive about it. And I want to encourage you, don't stop sharing the love of Jesus with them. Mainly with your actions and your kindness. But also just telling them about Jesus. Ezekiel 36, 26, we have this promise. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove... From you, your heart of stone, and give you a heart of flesh. You know, for those people that you think, man, they will never come through for Jesus. They will, you know, there's still people in my life, and I think, when, God, how on earth are you going to do that? We cling to the promises of God. That's what we cling to. That God will remove a heart of stone and instead replace their heart. Maybe you. I don't know everybody in this room, maybe you felt resilient to having Jesus as your King. And I want to invite you today to meet with this Jesus we've been singing about this God of love, this God of compassion, this God of mercy. He loves you. And maybe you felt resilient in the past to this Jesus, but I want to encourage you today to allow Him to give you a new heart. And finally, we see the reaction of the Magi. Their response to worship. Worship with their possessions. They worship with their time. They worship with their outward affections towards this child. Today, you and I, brothers and sisters, are called to be like them. We're called to be wise men and women as... Disciples of Jesus to fall down and worship of this King. To recognize the King that He is. And like the Magi, to acknowledge how worthy of worship He is. How to honor Him, to trust Him, and, and to be completely obedient to Him. And they refuse to betray their King, King Jesus. They refuse to betray Him for the short-term gain and favour of an earthly king and what the world would offer them. Would we put behind us everything that the world would offer us and instead be obedient only to King Jesus? Why don't we just stand? We're We're gonna pray before we go into communion.